Today is January 28th, 2019. It's a snowy, cold, blustery day in Michigan. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler, Executive Director of the MyExcel Statewide Field Team, and this is Blueprint Symposium. Welcome to the second episode as we expand our everyday conversations about systemic reconfiguration with you, our colleagues in the Blueprint Network. I hope you'll share these new resources with anyone in your district who can benefit from this ongoing dialogue. Our goal is simple, to help you live and breathe this work so that you will realize your goal of dramatic improvement in student, teacher, and leader performance in a short amount of time. On tap for today's episode of Blueprint Symposium, in diving deeper, we'll explore the purpose and best practices for principals who are in the midst of establishing, utilizing, or recalibrating their building networks. In becoming a network of disruptors, we'll talk about how important capacity building is to disrupting the status quo and creating a new way of supporting teaching and learning. And finally, I'll be joined by this week's special guest, Chelsea Strickland, Coordinator of Professional Learning on the Statewide Field Team, where we'll connect the second floor of the instructional infrastructure to the work of supporting, coaching, and monitoring high-quality instruction. Are you ready? Let's go. In today's Diving Deeper segment, let's take a few minutes and spend some time thinking about recalibrating or installing for the very first time building networks. I think it's really important to think about the two drivers kind of in tandem. In looking at the blueprint as a whole, you have the overall driver, which is the district network. And that district network is responsible for making it all happen at the district level. The blueprint doesn't install itself. There's a group of people who do that work. They monitor its installation, its progress, and its impact. Similarly, at the building level, that's exactly what the building network does with a little caveat. Rather than choosing the direction that the building is gonna go, building networks respond to the work of the district and do so in the context of that particular building. Think about building networks as the drivers at the building level. They are really responsible for four key pieces. Creating a sense of urgency. Since the district has created a conversation and a communication about urgency, it's the building network's responsibility to leverage that message around urgency and to build urgency at scale in the building. It's also responsible for creating a culture of risk-taking and collective responsibility. Building leaders, building networks, and everybody in the building must believe that they collectively have the ability and the responsibility to effectively educate each student. And that requires a certain degree of risk-taking. We're doing things and trying things that we've never tried before. We have to have a culture in the building where professional risk-taking is not only valued, but promoted because it helps us build that sense of collective responsibility. The building network is ultimately responsible for partnering with the building principal and getting the job done and also to understand to what degree all of the policies, processes, routines, and district systems are really taking a hold at the building level. One principal can lead that work, but it takes a collective body of leaders to get the work done. And finally, let's think about performance management. If the district network has the building installation timeline tool, and they're monitoring the installation of the blueprint, then the building networks use the building performance tool to drive in greater depth to the impact of all of their efforts at what's happening in the building. 
just like what the district will do looking collectively at all of the building performance tools as a whole. We have not only the responsibility for communicating the message and developing culture, it's also about getting the work done and making sure we can measure the impact on student, teacher, and leader performance. This isn't easy work. There are some tools that we've created that make it easier for building networks to build, install, and maintain an effective building network. So I wanted to briefly look at some of those tools. Let's start with the evidence of practice. Keep in mind that besides the evidence of practice tool, we have the planning tool to help you record those key decisions that you need to make in putting your building network together, as well as the installation assessment suite of tools. And we'll talk about them a little bit at a time. Let's start with the evidence of practice. This really talks about the five major responsibilities of a building network, and we've talked about them just a few minutes ago with a sense of urgency, with professional risk-taking, when developing the structures that promote collective responsibility, and also to navigate district-level installation at the building level. So when you think about the evidence of practice, it's a written document that really does describe all of the significant pieces of action that we hope building networks do. The planning tool is a great place for you to think about the decisions that you need to make in putting your building network together. It's also a place where you memorialize what the structures of the building network are gonna look like. So the planning tool really has two distinct purposes. First, to help you think about how we put it together, and then how do we memorialize the work of a building network so that all of the decisions around the building network have been stored so that should a new leader come into play, then that new leader can come in and can maintain the work of the building network. If you haven't looked at the installation assessment suite of tools, I'd encourage you to do so. There are three for the building network. The perception tool, which is a survey that you give only to building network members. Other folks in the building wouldn't really have the information they would need in order to determine whether the building network is doing the work that we really want to see happening. So that perception tool is really designed as a tool to be given to building networks, much like what you do at the district level, to say, hey, how are we doing? Are we doing the things that we should be doing? But you know, sometimes perception isn't always as close to reality as we would like. Whether that's because we don't fully understand what a building network is, or maybe we're really struggling to do some of those things. So we triangulate that data with the observation tool and the artifact review tool. I would really recommend that you periodically have an outsider come in and just watch your building network meetings and complete the observation tool as often as you think it's necessary. In that way, you can see to what extent an outside observer would recognize and see the degree to which some very specific actions or behaviors on the part of the building network are happening. This can also be used as a great tool for you to think about some backward planning. And if that's the ultimate goal is to see some of these actions in observation, then how do we do that work and how do we organize our building network in order to make that happen? Likewise, the artifact review tool is very similar. If we were to look at the existing documents that your building network creates, do those documents or artifacts really demonstrate some of the thinking, some of the actions, some of the interactions that we would hope to see in an effective building network. I really think it's important to use all three of those tools together to give you a really accurate picture of to what degree both members of the building network and sometimes outside parties think about the overall effectiveness of your building network. 
The tools aren't designed to beat anybody up, but rather they're designed to help you identify strengths and weaknesses so that the building network can collectively problem solve and think about how they improve their practice as a functioning building network. One of the other key elements of the, of the building network, I think, is the duality of the work. So we've talked about five major areas of work that the building network does, but what we haven't talked about a lot is the type of people and the type of behaviors that you wanna see from this collective group of leaders at the building network level. And so I would ask you to think about taking a look at the high performing groups document. It comes from Bruce Wellman and Laura Lipton from their book, Got Data Now What? Most of us, use that in growing and talking about the problem solving driver, but you know, this is so interconnected. I really think you should think about looking at those characteristics of high performing groups as the building leader. You're also trying to build these characteristics in the people that are on your building network team. Do we have a clear focus as a building network? Do we talk about the results that we want? And do we define our success criteria? Do we agree on the priorities that we need to realize dramatic increases in student, teacher, and leader performance? And are we preserving that valuable time we have as a building network to do the work? Wellman and Lipton have identified seven characteristics of high-performing groups. This isn't new information. One, maintain a clear focus. Two, embrace the spirit of inquiry. Three, put data at the center. Four, honor our commitments to learners and learning. Five, cultivate relational trust. Six, seek equity. And seven, assume collective responsibility. If that document seems somewhat foreign to you, then I would really encourage you to take a look at the high-performing groups document in the online warehouse. It's in the problem-solving driver system folder. Wellman and Lipton have also created an inventory tool that allows groups of teachers or leaders in this particular instance to ask themselves some very specific questions around whether or not and to what degree we exhibit behaviors that are characteristic of high-performing groups. We think it's really important for building leaders to cultivate not just all of the actions that building networks take, but also our collective responsibility as a group, as a team, in our ability to function effectively and quickly as a group of educators within the building, so that we can realize the changes that we want to see taking place. So that duality of doing the work of building networks and growing that collective body to be effective leaders in the building as part of a systemic reconfiguration is another big task for the work of the building leader. Finally, it is building leaders who are putting this building network together, right? So I wanted you to think about another one of those leadership competencies that we talk about, and that's team leadership. You know, sometimes it's easier to go it alone, and yet we don't get where we need to go when we do that. We need to think about and focus on how we build effective teams. And so we've defined team leadership as the talent to foster collective responsibility and ownership for student achievement, and then the aptitude to sustain effective system of shared leadership and responsibility throughout the school. So as you think about putting building networks together, or as you think about recalibrating building networks, one of the skills that you're really gonna have to draw upon, your ability to be an effective team leader. We have some additional tools and resources in the Becoming a Blueprint Leader series to help you really focus on leadership skills. If that's an area where you need to grow those skills in order to make them stronger, this becomes a really significant part of the work. That is how we grow, 
develop and support not just our teachers in the classrooms or our teachers within our teacher collaborative routines, but also your building network and its ability to become a really highly functional, high-performing team. The last comment I wanna make around your building network is that this building network can't be just an event or just a meeting. It's got to be a group of people working together, doing the work every day, just like we talk about the routines of our instructional leadership and teacher collaborative routines as being an organic way of doing our work. We also want to see building networks doing the work that we need to do together to lead this work on a daily basis. That doesn't mean that I'm advocating building networks have building network meetings on a daily basis, but in order to take the work to scale, it has to become the collective work that continues to happen day in and day out in the building. And that can't just be the principal who does that. Part of the work of the building network is to help realize the work day in, day out, in the building to scale. And this can require that we really think about effective ways of communicating, not only internally within the building network, but also externally from building network to the greater and larger school at scale as a whole. How do we use our communication devices? How do we use communication drivers to communicate within a building network regularly? And how do we use that to communicate from the building leader and the building network to the larger building at scale? If you have a building network, I can only imagine that you think about recalibrating that work and that that can be overwhelming and daunting. I would also encourage you to take incremental steps. Identify what your building network is doing really well, what your building network is struggling with, and then think about how you as a leader sustain the good work and also make incremental changes to improve those weaknesses. You have to dramatically overhaul your building network today and that by tomorrow you've got to be at the pinnacle of success with your building network. These are structures that can get better the more time and attention we give them. I sometimes think that incremental steps and very, very decisive strategic next steps to growing your building network are really important. Your facilitator can assist you in determining some of those next steps and help you identify some action that you can take and work that you can do to improve your networks. You can do it, let's go. In today's segment of Becoming a Network of Disruptors, we'll talk about how important capacity building is in our efforts to disrupt the status quo and to create a new way of supporting teaching and learning. You know, we've learned a lot watching and assisting almost 100 districts who are doing the work of installing the blueprint and trying with incredible enthusiasm and incredible passion to systemically reconfigure their districts to support students. We've seen, we've learned a lot by watching and, and seeing what's going on and obviously by supporting you and assisting you as well. So this is the conversation that I wanna have with you today. In this particular segment, it really ties to how we become a network of disruptors because it's also a challenge to us to really think about how we're leading this work and to what extent the folks in our organization really understand deeply where we're going and how we're gonna get there. And so we've got a couple of questions to think about that I think get to the heart of this short segment. The first one is, how can we lead this work if others in leadership roles don't understand deeply the blueprint, how to install it, and its interconnectedness? 
we have to remember what Ryan McLeod said to all of, all of us back at the Blueprint Institute in the summer of 2018. We have to not only put the systems in place, but we have to fundamentally do our work differently than we did before, or the system won't work. Now, that's not an exact quote from Dr. McLeod, but that certainly paraphrases many months later as we think about the work, and so I'm challenging us all to think a little bit about that in this segment. How deeply do we understand collectively the work that we're trying to do, and what are we doing to build deep shared understanding of the theoretical construct and the complicated work that we're trying to accomplish in our districts? And I'm just going to lay it out there. Shallow, quick conversations, and surface-level understanding of the work will not get us where we want to go. And I think we've relied on those shallow, quick conversations and surface level understandings because, you know, let's face it, it's time. Time is of the essence. And many of us really struggle to find the time that we can put on the schedule where we can bring people together within the district to learn about not only the work, how to do the work and to organize for the work, but to think about it from this fundamentally important lens of disrupting the status quo and changing how we operate our districts so that we can support each child. You know, it's hard work. And I, I think the more time we can spend up front with any of our tasks, I think that will be time well spent. So think about it. In our last segment, when I was talking about how to recalibrate building networks, and one of the questions I would ask, I saved for this segment, and that is, to what extent do our building networks really truly deeply understand what the blueprint is, how the blueprint systems are put together, how they support building level routines, and, and how this reconfigured district is gonna be better equipped to meet the needs of each student? I think because time is such a critical endeavor, we give them the information we think they need, they need to have right away in order to get moving, and then we find is that in many places, operating from a very shallow or surface level understanding doesn't just get us, it doesn't get us where we want to go. And that is not in any way to criticize the, the great people who are doing the great work. It's really a reflection on to what extent have we taken the time to really build that deep level of understanding. And now we have some additional resources that really can help us do that work. I know from our team, we've shifted a lot of our training and work in professional learning from a face-to-face -face event in a hotel to offering many of this work online they, so that the content can be accessed from anywhere, anytime. And I really hope that we will think about considering how we use these online tools and resources in our professional learning platform so that we can get folks to tear apart the blueprint, to understand certain pieces, and then to come together after some of that learning has taken place in the comfort and privacy of wherever so that we can debrief those conversations in that, in that learning in person. Debrief that learning, really go deeper in a much faster way so that we can upfront some of our work with some learning. So I go back and think about building networks as an example. When I think about that work, I wonder if I were either recalibrating a building network or putting in a building network in place for the very first time, I wonder, well, actually, I, I don't wonder. This is what I think I would do. I would commit my building network to the Diving Deeper series. So again, we slow down for just a little bit to speed up. And I think about upfronting that learning and how incredibly valuable it would be to allow the building networks to rapidly move forward. So I really see this cycle as, 
learn deeply, install the driver, the driver system, the district system, or the building routine. Calibrate that system, driver, or routine. In other words, measure and decide on next steps and then move to sustain. So again, I think that cycle for this work is really learn, install, calibrate, and sustain. So I guess this is a shameless commercial, but I really believe, as I've seen it happen in a district, where we've taken some time to really deepen our understanding of the work, how incredibly powerful that can be. And I would really encourage all of our Blueprint districts to think about how they use some of our online learning tools and the online learning platform so that we can deepen our understanding of the Blueprint as a whole. The Diving Deeper series, the Mechanics of Building Leadership series, or Becoming a Blueprint Leader, or Teacher Collaborative Routines, and then some of our face-to-face -face leadership networks to support that work as we collectively continue to move forward. So here are two examples that I think are really important. An early adopter has all of their leaders, including administrators, central office executives, building networks, completing the Diving Deeper series. And they've been doing this work for several years, and yet they recognize the need to really make sure that we have a deep, shared understanding of, of where it is that the board and the superintendent and other leaders are leading the district. And I've seen profound changes in conversation as a result of just having a group of people together who've completed even Diving Deeper Level 1. So as we upfront some of that learning, we become more able to be a, a network of disruptors. In another district, they're ready to install teacher collaborative routines. So before getting ready to do that work, the superintendent and the district network team look at and take the first floor of the course for teacher collaborative routines, instructional design and delivery. They wanted to understand that work in a deep and profound way. What are teacher collaborative routines? What would it look like for one? And then what would it look like when the entire district has that same understanding? All of the teachers in the district will be taking the teacher collaborative routines course for the instructional design and delivery level one throughout the winter. Beginning in February, they'll be starting that course together and then they'll be able to debrief and talk about the content in their professional learning meetings and their staff meetings. And I really think it's gonna make installing teacher collaborative routines far easier and more efficient because teachers will have a greater understanding of what we mean by instructional design and delivery before we even begin thinking about putting them in place. We significantly try to develop strategies to make this more available. We have sketches that are now available for these online courses so that teachers and leaders can use the online learning platform as a way to fulfill credential requirements, as well as making sure that they can learn what they need to learn in order to effectively install the various components of the blueprint. I just can't emphasize enough how important I think it is that the people in our districts who are doing this work are able to go deeply into the learning, deeply into the understanding, so that we can move beyond surface level understanding. So that as all the systems get put in place, we'll actually be able to see educators using those systems, changing practice, and becoming a network of disruptors. It's time for this week's special guest spotlight, where we'll connect the second floor of the instructional infrastructure to the work of supporting, coaching, and monitoring high-quality instruction. 
So I'm delighted to introduce Chelsea Strickland, Coordinator of Professional Learning on the Statewide Field Team. Welcome, Chelsea. Thanks for joining me today in Blueprint Symposium. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about the second floor of the instructional infrastructure. Before we start talking about that, is there anything you want to share with our listeners about installation in the field, the new dialogue series, or even the importance of living and breathing systemic reconfiguration? I'm also very thrilled about this whole dialogue series. I'm, I'm very excited about the potential it has to build our capacity, not only um, our, of our facilitators, but you know, of our principals, our teachers, our superintendents, anybody that is really living and breathing this work. Um, so just that I'm very thrilled that this even is in existence. Well, I'm really glad that you made it today. So thanks for joining me. We're gonna spend a few minutes talking about the first floor of the instructional infrastructure, visions of high quality instruction, the second floor of the instructional infrastructure, curriculum and assessment, and then the critical connection between the two. So if I can begin, what's so unique about the visions of high quality instruction? You know, I think that what is so unique about those visions is just the fact that we're actually putting on paper now um, what, what we all need to strive for in each individual subject area. Um, you know, we, we often talk about high quality instruction and, and often it's, it's so framed in, um, you know, something that, that we've also built up to be a little bit more um, scary, which is evaluation, right? We often think about high quality instruction as checking boxes and meeting certain criteria, but the visions are so much more than that. They're, they're so... Um, you know, brilliantly crafted by the people who come together in a district to, to make sure that they are um, written in a way that is clear and research-based, but at the same time, they really get to the heart of, of the philosophy, right, behind what it means to teach English, what it means to teach science. And so it, it's so different in that um, it really gives us that, that lofty goal and such a great image of what high-quality teaching is that is so different from anything we've ever given to educators before. Why is it important for us to understand that this vision may not be what we're currently doing, but what we aspire to do? Well, I think, you know, the, the previous question really lends itself to that. It's, it's unique. It's brand new. Um, we've, we've not asked educators to think about their jobs in this way and think about why they come to work every day in this way. So absolutely, we're not going to be there, right? I mean, this is the first time we're thinking about teaching high quality teaching in this way. And it would be unrealistic to expect that everybody is there tomorrow or even within the first year or two, right? That, that we're striving for this. And, and I think the other important piece is that we need to remember that, you know, high quality to the caliber that is, that is explored in those visions is really one of those things that's like, you're not gonna see every moment of every day because Kids are kids and, and people are people and, and things happen and that's okay. And, and if you are a, a quality educator and a, and a real person, you recognize that. And so it's, it's all about the, the vision, but also that, that realism behind it that, you know, we'll see it um, and we're striving for it each day and that guides our vision, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's always gonna come to fruition. Absolutely, sometimes the very best laid plan right? Doesn't, doesn't quite make it when we go to put it there. So of course, these visions form the foundation, that ground floor of the instructional infrastructure. And now 
we're really going to talk about the second floor. So something that rests upon those visions. What happens at the second floor of the instructional infrastructure? A lot. <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of brand new work that um, districts are, are not, you know, typically engaged in already. Um, and so the, the first thing that really happens is, you know, the district takes on that responsibility to say, so we've given our teachers this vision and we want them to be striving for it, but have we really set them up for success? Have we really given them everything that we possibly can to make sure that they can live out that vision and, and make those decisions guided by it? And so a lot of conversation around what is the district's role in all of this? What do we think about curriculum? What do we believe about assessment? Um, that all starts as we're building a system. And, and really then, the, once we've identified what we believe curriculum is and what it needs to be for teachers and kids, uh, that's when we really start getting into the logistics of everything. So how are we going to build units of study? What is that going to look like? What's our timeline? How are we gonna make sure that that those are vetted and that they are of the highest quality? And then how are we going to make sure that they are actually meeting the needs of our teachers and students? So you have this really seamless process every year, actually it never stops, it never ends, of making sure that your curriculum is doing the work that it needs to be actually doing. So you have, you start by defining curriculum and assessment, building a system for, for writing, creating, vetting, approving units, you know, making sure that you're getting feedback on those units and then annually revising them to, again, make sure that they're doing the work they need to do. So, you know, that's, that is, that's an incredible system that, like you said at the very beginning, is often, you know, very new work and a very different kind of work than the way districts have done this before. So what, what does it mean to have a district-approved curriculum? What is, you know, what's the benefit of that for, you know, teachers, for leaders, for students, for the district itself? Well, everybody benefits from a district-approved curriculum for a number of reasons. What it really does is it actually gives all educators within the system something to unite around to support our students. So we're no longer going into individual classrooms and blindly wondering what it is that they're trying to accomplish that day. And, and then, you know, just kind of blindly choosing random things to give feedback around or maybe not give feedback around because we didn't really have a deep understanding ourselves of, of what direction those, those students were being led in. Um, and so a district-approved curriculum is not about, you know, telling teachers that what they were doing before was wrong or, or trying to script everything and, and get totally in tandem teaching every single day. It's much bigger than that. It's about aligning our goals, making sure that all of our goals are rigorous and are pushing our students to be lifelong learners and get all of those really great skills that we've been talking about for so many years that they all need to be successful. But then as we're building the capacity of our students, we're building the, the collaboration between teachers to talk about how to get there. And then we're also then building the capacity of the principals, the instructional leaders in the building in the district, who are supporting that work because there's no way that they can really honestly and, and fully support that work if they don't really know what the direction is either. And so a district approved curriculum means we have this set, you know, um, scope and sequence of units that everybody can learn and unpack and, and really make sure that at every layer of the system, we're, 
really supporting that process of teaching and learning that's that's going on. I can only imagine, you know, having been a classroom teacher for 21 years where I was solely responsible for both deciding what to teach, right, and how to teach, that it would have been immensely easier had some of that work been done so that it wasn't, I wasn't constantly thinking about, you know, what's happening two weeks from now, right, and how does how does what I'm doing today fit into that? And, you know, you, you hope that I made right decisions at that time based on what I do, but I'm sure not all of those decisions were spot on. I mean, this is something that, that teachers and districts and parents and everybody has been so hungry for forever. You know, if, if you've heard it, if we could just make sure that they had what they needed, you know, that teachers had what they needed on day one, then so many other problems would go away. And of course, it's not the silver bullet. But it definitely does allow teachers to, to focus their energy and attention and conversation on improving practice rather than what are we going to do tomorrow, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, this blueprint is all about, I use the word disruption all the time. So what, what disruption occurs with these two floors of the instructional infrastructure? Uh, there is a lot of disruption that really occurs, right? Um, because we are, again, changing how we spend our time. And, you know, one of the, the key components, I think, that changes with the instructional infrastructure, both floors one and two, is this question of why, right? So, so in the mechanical level, we're really bringing everybody into this question of, you know, why do we teach science the way we teach science, right? Why do we teach ELA the way that we teach it? And, and then, in the, the lobby level, when you start talking about building a system for curriculum and assessment, you start asking people, why do you make the choices that you make, right, instructionally? And, and why are you doing what you're doing tomorrow or a week from now or even two weeks from now, like you just said? And, and so that is a huge disruption, right, to, to how we spend our time every day. And especially if I've been teaching for a number of years and I may have been teaching the same students and the same things for a number of years the same grades. Well, it's a major disruption to your teaching staff because suddenly they're, they're really having to explore those choices that they're making every day and, and thinking about whether or not those choices um, are, are really leading kids to the success that, that we need them to get to. But not only for your teaching staff, for your kids, right? Because you're going to start yeah. doing things very differently and not immediately will kids know what to do. Um, in the same way that we don't always know what to do right away. And so it's a disruption to how maybe they've been learning for a number of years. You know, as, as a, a secondary teacher, you know, when I started teaching brand new units after having unpacked the vision and, and having a totally new way of, of thinking about what I do with students, they struggled. It was not super easy for them at first because they were learning in a different way. I was asking them all these deep questions and they struggled. Um, until they could get used to it. And they're very resilient, so they made it through, but it was hard. And then on an, another level, your principals are really going to also experience some disruption because your teachers and your kids need so much support in this process, and you got to be there for them. So that means you have to know what, what's going on in their curricula. You have to know what's going on in their classrooms. And you have to be ready to have those conversations and to figure out how to support. You also might not know what that looks like or sounds like yet because we're all growing in this process, but 
in order for it to really take hold and for us to really hold on to, you know, have the stamina to work through this big challenge, this huge disruption, principles have to be there too. So it's a, it's a huge disruption to everything um, that we do every day. A huge disruption, but a very positive and a very powerful one, right, for, for all of our children. Oh, and it's so exciting. I mean, I spoke to the changes that I felt. What I started to see were all of my kids, right? You'd have those kids every day that would come in and they'd participate and they'd be the talkers. And, but then, I mean, from the moment or from the day that I left the classroom, I started to hear every single kid's voice because they all had something to say. They could all access this new curriculum um, that, that we'd all unpacked together. And it was, it was profound. It was so exciting, so much fun. It was invigorating, it made the job. And, and now you're seeing that all over the state. Absolutely, it's so exciting. And, and to hear other teachers get a taste of that um, and, and just feel like this is a brand new job when they've been doing it for 15, 20 years, that is so exciting. Chelsea, thank you for stopping by today, and I thank you for words of wisdom that you have uh, that you've shared with us. And uh, I'm anxious for everybody to hear what we uh, what we've been talking about. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. That wraps up episode two of Blueprint Symposium. I hope you're finding these new tools to be useful in your ongoing efforts at this work. Thanks for taking some time out of your very busy day to connect with us. Our next episode of Blueprint Symposium will be broadcast on February 11th. In the meantime, please follow me on Twitter at Grant A. Chandler. I'd also like to leave you with this question today. To what extent are you building capacity within your district for the work of systemic reconfiguration? Let's continue this conversation on Twitter using the hashtag disrupting the status quo or hashtag blueprint underscore swift. From all of us at the statewide field team, here's to a great week of educating and supporting each child. The MyExcel statewide field team is dedicated to providing local districts and the ISD ESAs who support them with the intense support needed to assist them in systemic reconfiguration for the sole purpose of saving the lives of Michigan's children. We are committed to this vision and will do whatever it takes to support district superintendents and their teams in this critical endeavor to educate all children and to demonstrate to others that public education is viable and is capable if it chooses to of successfully serving all children in a culturally proficient environment, regardless of who they are, how they identify themselves, where they come from, or what type of family support they have or do not have. The MyExcel statewide field team operates from the Calhoun Intermediate School District and is funded from federal Title I funds through a statewide competitive technical assistance grant from the Michigan Department of Education. Thus, these materials were produced with Title I Part A funds and are part of the public domain. The MyExcel statewide field team proudly recognizes its partners in this work, the Muskegon Area Intermediate School District, Eastern Upper Peninsula Intermediate School District, Gogebic Antanagan Intermediate School District, and MAISA. We are grateful for their willingness to share their expertise with us and with the entire state. The original music used in our podcasts and vlogs was composed and performed by Claire Castle. For more information about the statewide field team, the Blueprint for Systemic Reconfiguration, or to access Blueprint tools and resources, check out our website 
www.myexcelresourcecenter.org. That's www.mixcelresourcecenter.org.